Well, if you open up your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, I want to talk to you about this morning, life without love equals zero. Life without love equals zero. 1 Corinthians, I know that most of you are, are pretty... Uh, familiar with it, but let's look what the Apostle Paul says here in verse 1. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and I have all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but if I have not love, he says, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Life without love equals zero. Let's pray. Father, we just are thankful to be in your house. Holy Spirit, we, we sense your presence. I ask that you would help me, that you would make up my insufficiencies. I declare my need upon you. I have nothing to help your people with, least the Holy Spirit works through me. So help me just to speak what on you would have me to speak, say whatever you want me to say, and do what you've called me to do. And I pray that you would minister to your people, that we could all leave today saying, surely... We have met Jesus today. In Jesus' name, amen. Life minus love equals zero. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus breaks down what he says is the greatest and most important commandment of all. He was asked what that was, and he said that the most important commandment is that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And he says, the second one is like that. He said that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so Jesus is saying that you can live your life doing anything you want to do, but the most important thing that you can do and accomplish this side of eternity is to love God the most and love others the way that we are to love ourselves. He said this is the first and the greatest commandment. You see, one of the greatest signs that a church is maturing in the faith is that people become increasingly more important to you as the day goes on. If people are not becoming more and more important to you, if it's about you getting your blessing, it's about you shouting and dancing and running, I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad, but if your relationships are not where they need to be, all that stuff is just... In vain. Listen, if, if, if I can help you change your relationships, I can directly help you change the entirety of your life. You know, that's why that, uh, 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 when they set you apart and they put you in a cell in their solitary confinement, help my mind, Lord. I ain't preaching long. I got some ring rust. <laughs> that's why solitary confinement is actually... Uh, a form of punishment. You were not created to live this life alone. And so when we look at the quality of our relationships, it tells us a lot about who we are, you know, how the, our relationships are and, and the quality of our relationships. And so how we treat people tells us a lot about ourselves. The first thing it does, it reveals our maturity. 
You know, the, the, the relationships that we have, the way that we treat people, it reveals our maturity. It reveals our character. And, and listen to this. Most importantly, I can look at the quality of your relationships and see how well you love and determine what kind of relationship with God you really have. There's a lot of people that talk about how much they love Jesus. But I want you to know something. Your visible love for people is a direct reflection of your invisible love for God. There's some people that, that, that they can't be in relationships. They won't let you be in relationship with them. You know, they, they, you know, they, they, take, their, they take their lessons and they, they, they take their marriage counseling from J-Lo or, or somebody. The, their relationships, are they're, they're struggling. They're destroyed. And that is just a direct reflection of our relationship with God. I'll go even a little bit farther. I can tell whether you are lost or whether you are saved by how you treat other people. Now, how do I know this is true? Because Jesus said it. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, he said, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, that you what? Love one another. You know, 1 John chapter 3, verse number 14, he says, this is how we know that we pass from death unto life, that we love the brethren. And so we can see where our relationship with God is at. And you know what? If we do not have that kind of fruit, manifesting in our lives is probably because we have a weak relationship with God at best or we don't have a relationship with God at all at worst. Because, listen, you know what? We've learned how to do this church thing so much that we can show up and, and leave and whether God shows up or not, we would never know the difference. But God didn't call us to be religious. He called us to be in relationship. Amen? So let me give you a couple of things here that, that might help us in our relationship. These are in your bulletin. You can go ahead and number one here. When Paul's talking about love in this verse or these verses, he points out some things that we need to consider. And the first thing that he says is, without love, all that I say is ineffective. All that I say is ineffective. Verse one, he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and tongues of angels... But I have not love, I become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. What Paul is saying here is this, listen. Words without love are empty. In other words, they're just noise. There's a lot of people that, that say a lot of things. It's easy to say, you know what, I'll pray for you, brother, and then not pray for him, right? It's another thing to say, you know what, I love you, but, but really not even be in relationship. You know, some of you right now, you don't want to necessarily be in relationship. You just want to kind of blend in with the crowd and just kind of learn how to do this church thing. And, and let me tell you something. Listen, that, that's, what, that's not what this is about. This is about relationship with God and relationship with, with people. He said these are the most important things. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 says, Love not in word only, but in deed and in truth. I love what the NIV says. Listen to this. It says, let us not love with words or speech, but in action and truth. You know, that's why they call Brian Jackson Action Jackson, you know. I mean, you know, love is an action verb, okay. Love is a verb, you know. It's not enough just to say it, and it's not enough to mean it and believe that you mean it. It has to be demonstrated. You know, the Bible said in Romans chapter 5 or 8, it says that God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So love that's not expressed and love that is not demonstrated is love that actually dies. 
And so love has to be uh, expressed. It has to be demonstrated. And so when we're talking about this, Paul says, you know what? If you don't have love in your heart, then what you say is irrelevant. You know, nothing is easier than saying, I'll pray for you, and then nothing's easier than going to bed forgetting to pray for somebody. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm not trying to throw guilt or anything on people. I'm saying we need to become sincere people because the Bible says that love is a very, very important thing when it comes to our relationship with God and other people. Now, listen to this. Communication's critical if we're wanting to show the love of God toward other people. Communication is the bridge that connects us to one another. Caring does not have to involve strong emotions. Sometimes caring and loving just requires you to sit down and listen and then respond after you're talked to. Now, the reason we don't love people well is because we are busy putting people in their place instead of putting ourselves into their shoes. Let me say that again. You know, the reason why we don't love well is because we're so busy telling people what they ought to do. You know, telling them that, you know what, get, get, your, get your stuff straight. Telling them that, you know what, if you had what I had, then you know what, you wouldn't be experiencing what you experience. We're so busy. But until you put yourself into somebody else's shoes, you're not going to love well. Now, the most important thing you could do to love people well is to love God most. You know, the Bible says we're to love the Lord our God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbors as ourselves. One of the reasons why we don't love people well is because we're not loving people out of the overflow of our love for God. You know, if you try to love people in your own strength, they're going to get on your last nerve. If you're just going to try to love people in your own strength, then you know what? They're going to push your buttons. If you just try to love people in your own strength, you're going to continue to be disappointed time and time and time again. And most likely, you're going to get so bitter that you're going to build a wall that will soon become your prison. Learning to love God out of the overflow of our relationship with God and loving people this way, that is the only way that we're going to love well. And the Bible says that, that hopes believes all things and, and love endures all things. Love never fails. Now, have you ever thought about what the definition of love is? Now, in America, we've got one definition for love, and that is feelings. So we say, you know what? We, we love God. We love Jesus, we love the church, we love our family, we love pizza, we love puppies. We know everything is just, you know, if, if we feel it, it's genuine love. But you know what? The Bible doesn't say that, that that's what love is. Yes, there's, it's a dimension of love, but it's not everything. You know, God in his uh, brilliance, you know, in, in, in his, in his uh, strategic design for man, he knew that after sin, we wouldn't know what love really was. And so he provided a whole chapter so that we can understand what true love is. And the first word he says, he could have used any word he wanted to use. Now think about this. The first word he said was, love is patient. If you want to love better, then what are you going to have to do? You know what? You can stop praying for patience once you get married. And so if to be patient is to be godly, I wonder what it means to be impatient. Now, now you know, another word for patience is, is long-suffering. You know, how do you long, uh, learn long-suffering? Suffer long. 
But is that the only way that we can love patience or uh, learn love and, and understand patience? The Bible says a man of wisdom has patience. A man of understanding has patience. And so how do you get it? Through wisdom and understanding. Now, how do you get wisdom and understanding? Because here's, here's the truth. Most of the time in our relationships, we don't really, you know, listen to listen. We listen to respond. I mean, you've already got what you're about to say, you know, lodged in your head. You just wait for the other person to take a breath so you can take over the conversation, right? That just me. You know, you know, we have to learn how to listen. You know, I, I've used this illustration before, but I love it. But, you know, God created the bullfrog with a, with a, a very large muscle, which is the tongue. And, and in this large muscle, you know, as the, as the frog, the bullfrog croaks, he goes, You ever heard him? Listen, the, the tongue of a bullfrog is so strong that it sends vibration to the frog's brain. It is so loud that it can't even hear that big obnoxious noise coming out of its mouth. You know where I'm going? There's a lot of people who just make a lot of noise and they can't even understand the nonsense that's coming out of their mouth. You're just like, oh, just time. And so what's the moral of the story? You know, it's hard to listen with your mouth open. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is be silent. That's the Bible. Is it in there? But it says, without love, what I say is ineffective. Listen to this. Did you know over 92% of communication is nonverbal? Only 7% of all communication actually requires us to use words. You know, the, the, the other 90-some percent of communication that is without words are made up of vocal tone, pitch, uh, body gestures, the looks on our face. Now, that's why I ask people all the time, do you love Jesus? And they say, well, yeah. I said, well, let your face know it. People, people might be saved, but their face needs to get saved. you know what I'm talking about? Listen, I was preaching in my office there this week, and Clay was in there with me, and I was preaching better than I am now. And I paused for an amen. And if you know Clay, Clay, he just laid back. You know, you just don't know if he's thrilled to death or ready to throw in the towel. You, you just don't, you, you never know. And he, I, said, I, said, I said, well, I'm waiting for an Amen. He said, amen. You know, I, I said, he said, yeah, I'm amen. And I said, but your face ain't. But, but 92% of communication is nonverbal, and the rest of it is of communication is, is made with how you say it. Your vocal tone, pitch, volume, delivery, facial expressions, hand gestures, and body language. So... It's important for our relationships that we're able to communicate our true and sincere love for people. And you can't do that by telling them what's wrong and being their constant teacher every single day. Amen? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, Speak the truth in love. And that means, you know what? Loving people doesn't simply mean telling them what they want to hear. It says, speak the truth in love. 
There's a balance that's there. In, in, in other words, what Paul's saying is, it's not so much what you say, it's how you say it. You can say the right thing in the wrong way and still be wrong. And so you have to understand how you're communicating is very important so that people can take what you're saying the right way. That's why when you're on the phone, you're, you're only like 5% of, of actually communicating with people. But yet in America, people spend eight hours a day on their smartphones. And we call that communication. It's almost like people have stopped and don't even know how to sit down and just have a logical conversation. I mean, that's what's happening in, in our nation. But, but we have to learn how to speak the truth in love. Words without actions and words without communication is just religious talk. And the, t- the truth is, we have talked and learned how to talk religiously for a long time. You don't have to be in the church long to understand how to do this lingo. Amen? But it says, speak the truth in love. You see, when your love level exceeds your truth level, you deceive people. When your truth level exceeds your love level, you destroy people. But it says you've got to speak the truth. There has to be a balance of truth and love. And oftentimes, listen, some of the meanest people I know are preachers. I mean, they want to preach you straight into hell and not even throw you a rope. As if that, you know, that, that, you know, that they see God only as a judge and they want to become their prosecuting attorney. So, I mean, you know what? We have to learn how to speak the truth in love. Communication is not just saying the right thing. It's saying the right thing in the right way. If I speak in tongues but don't have love, he said it's just noise. So that's important. Number one, without love, all that I say is ineffective. Here's the second thing. Number two, without love, all I know is incomplete. Look at verse two. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries, and all knowledge, but I don't have love. He said, I am nothing. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul's saying right here. He said, you know what? You may have the ability to memorize the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation and be able to quote it from Genesis to Revelation, but when it comes to relationships, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's why thumping people over the head with a Bible is not helpful. You know, evangelism is just loving people until they ask you why. You know, why are you being so good to me? Why, why are you being generous? Why are you contacting me? Listen, it's important. So listen, you can walk around here being, you know, Mr. Bible walking, you know, encyclopedia. But you know what? All that you know, if you don't have love, he said, is nothing. He said, so it's not enough to have Bible knowledge. You have to grow and have a heart for people. In other words, you know, what is in your heart is actually more important than what's in your head. What is in your heart is more important than what is in your head. Because you can be right on everything, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that it's going to help you in your relationships. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. It says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Beware of the person that always says, I know, I know. Well, it's what you learn after you know everything that matters. You ever met anybody that just knows everything? I mean, you can't, you can't say anything. I know, I used, it used to be my favorite you know, uh, word. I, was like, I know, I know. Listen, it's what you learn after you know everything that, that actually matters. And you see, if I don't have love, All that I know is incomplete. Here's a good point. Write this down. 
The love you know is the love you show. The love you know is the love you show. And Paul says, you know what? You can know everything there is about everything. But if you don't have love, it's nothing. It's nothing. So how good of a lover of people are you? Could we be a better loving church? Could I love my wife more? Could I love my children more? Could I love my community more? Because it's not about how many people we can fill in the sanctuary. It's about how many people. Listen, church actually begins when you walk out the door. So it's not just about Bible knowledge. You know, the, the Pharisees had Bible knowledge. Jesus said, you know what? You search the Scriptures, and then you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. He said, you know what? You have got a lot of Bible knowledge, and you know the book of the Lord, but you don't know the Lord of the book. There's a big difference between it. These were the scholars, the experts, you know, the, 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 the brilliant people that were leading the, the religious movement in Jesus' day. And he says, you know what? I'll give you credit. You do have knowledge, but you know what? You don't have knowledge that leads you to salvation. It's just puffed you up. He says, you take your knowledge, and you, you, you lock the door, and you don't give anybody the key. And he says, you know what? You make them twice as bad a child of hell. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Listen, they're New Testament scribes and Pharisees. It's the people that they know what they need to be doing, they know what they need to be saying, and they know what they need to be living. But the truth is, they have grown cold in their heart. You know, one of the, one of the, uh, the prophetic fulfillments of signs of the times, Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said this. He said, in the last days, he said, the love of many will wax cold. And that word love actually in the Greek means agape. In other words, the God kind of love that is in you in the last days will be a sign of my returning. And you know what? People won't grow closer to God and love God more. People will actually become more religious and love God less. I paused for an amen that didn't come, but, but that's good. Now, let me ask you this. Are you closer to God today than you were yesterday? Are you closer to God today than you were a year ago? Where are you in your relationship with God? Now is not a time to just walk in lukewarmness. Now is not a time for us just to, to, to simply go through the motions. The day of the Lord is coming. Let me tell you something. There's a great falling away, and the love of God that you have needs to be burning and never, ever go out. Leviticus 3 says, the fire shall never, ever go out on the altar. How can we say we've got fire in our hearts when our altars are empty? Fire comes when the sacrifice is placed on the altar. Do you have an altar? When's the last time you visited the altar? I'm going on. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Here's the third thing. He says, without love, all that I say is ineffective. He said, number two, if without love, all I know is incomplete. And number three, he says, all that I believe is insufficient. Now look at verse two again. This is the last part. He says, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Listen to this. Believing in the right doctrine is important. That's important. Belonging to the right church is important. 
And being connected to a small group is critically important. Why? Because you can't live the Christian life alone. And you know what? You, you can't be wrong with your brothers and sisters and right with God, no matter how good your theology is. You understand what I'm saying? To be wrong in relationship, doesn't, you, know, you can't even be right with God. Jesus said this. He said, if you've got all against your brother, he said, don't even worship. Don't even put your offering on the, offering, on the altar. He says, you go to them, reconcile to them, try to win them back. Then come and bring it. Don't, don't pray. Don't give. Don't do anything. Go be reconciled. Is there any relationships in your life that need reconciliation? Maybe it's the reason you feel like the heavens are brass. And it's different, uh, difficult for you to, to, to get into the presence of God. Maybe it's because there are some relationships that are strained that need to be healed. And forgiveness is different than reconciliation. When you forgive, that doesn't mean you're automatically going to be reconciled. But if it is possible, then we should pursue that. What I believe, I don't have love. Is insufficient. Let me give you a couple of reasons right quick, and I'm going to finish up on why being connected to a small group is important. These, I love these. Are you ready? Number one, the reason being part of a small group is so important is most people don't believe in themselves. Most people don't feel like they have what it takes. Most people don't feel like nothing is ever going to change. Most people don't believe in themselves. They don't love themselves. I mean, I found out as a pastor more and more every day that a lot of people simply hate themselves. They can't stand the way they are and the way they feel. And sometimes there's demonic strongholds that are in there, but, but they failed over and over again so much that, you know what, they can't even think about believing in themselves and overcoming what they're going through. Number two, most people don't have someone who believes in them. Most people don't believe in themselves, and most people don't have anyone who believes in them. Number three, most people can tell when someone believes in them. Most people can tell when somebody believes in them. And number four, most people will do everything they can to live up to the people who believe in them. That's why you need to be in a small group. God has a place for you. That's why you should start a small group. Listen, there's no perfect way of doing it. There's no perfect way, there's, there's no curriculum that can take the place of your genuine love for people. And listen, as you get in there and you see people grow, the greatest success in your life is raising up a successor. There's no success without a successor. And as you begin to help people grow, it creates an empowering culture that you know what, that people rise above what they thought they could possibly do. Now, many of you, you know the story of, of uh, David and Goliath. And you know, for 40 days, Goliath, what he did was he, he taunted the children of Israel and, and nobody would go out to confront him. Along comes David, and, and David sees what, uh, what this Philistine is doing, and he gets mad. And he says, you know, who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that devised himself against the armies of God? Against the Lord of hosts. And so, Anyways, long story short, Goliath comes, and David goes out, and he has this, this, this sling on the rock. You know what he does, right? He slings the rock, hits the giant in the forehead, and cuts off his head. 
Now, that's critically important, but you know what's more important than what David did right then? Was the response of the rest of the children of Israel after David defeated Goliath. You see, the only thing that David had on his mind at that moment was taking out this Philistine. That's it. He had no idea what God was going to do through this victory in defeating this giant. You know what the Bible says? After David took off the glass head, it says all of the children of Israel pursued the Philistines and drove them out of their country. And the point of that is this. When you, come, when you overcome your personal limitations, you inspire others to come over theirs, overcome theirs as well. See, your next victory, you don't know what your next victory is going to help somebody else overcome. They look and say, you know what? If they can do it, I can do it. David's per, uh, personal victory became his nation's victory. He didn't think that they were going to respond after that. He just looked at the giant. And he just said, you know what, I'm about to take this dude out because God's with me. And he knocks him down, he cuts his head off, and all of a sudden, everybody else gets inspired. You know what, somebody might just be waiting on you to rise up from where you are and go after God and go to a new level in God and say, you know what, that person's life inspires me. I pray to God that I live a life in such a way that people say, you know what, that man wants, makes me want to love Jesus more. That's the way I want to live. I want to love Jesus in such a way that he inspires other people to say, you know what, he's worth it. And I'm telling you right now, if God don't do another thing for me, he's worth it. I'll give everything. i do it all over again. I have no regrets. I've never forgotten where I was at when he came looking for me. I've not been able to get over it. I'm just trying to teach a lesson here. You can have the right doctrine... And the wrong heart, and you're totally wrong. You can be theologically straight and relationally crooked. You can't be right with God and wrong with your brothers and sisters at the same time. Number four, all that I give is insignificant. Verse three, and though I give all my possessions to the poor, he said, it profits me nothing. And so what this verse is saying is that you can give without loving but you can't love without giving. Paul says you can give out of obligation. You can give out of manipulation. You can get, give out of, of condemnation. You can be a great humanitarian. You can dig a well. You can sponsor a child. You can support a ministry or a missionary. But if you give and there's no genuine love in your heart, he said, you know what? You've wasted your generosity. See, God doesn't just want outward obedience. He wants inward willingness. He wants you to not just do it, but love it. For example, you didn't have to come to church today. You've got to come to church today. It's not a chore. It's not a burden. It's not hard. You know what? Especially when you know what God's done for you. Most of the stuff is just simple attitude. God is more concerned about your motive than he is your amount. God's more concerned about your attitude than he is the amount that you give. You can't write a check big enough to impress God. But God don't want a big check with a bad heart. You've wasted it. He wants you to understand that, you know what, God's given you everything that you had. And you know what, you should be generous to give to what is in need. And you know what, you should not withhold from them. But most of us, here's how you know if money's got control over you. Money has control over you. If you fear... 
that you might lose your possessions and your positions, if you're afraid of that, the degree that you are afraid of that is equal to the degree that it has control over your life. Some of you struggle tithing. This is not a money message, it's a heart message. He said, where your treasure is, there your... Okay. Some of you struggle because you think that you can't afford to give to God. And the tithe is actually what belongs to him. When you give tithe, you've not given any kind of offering. You have brought him the tithe of the first fruits. And if you're afraid that you cannot give, it's simply because it has control over your life. You don't have to be rich to be a lover of money. If you're controlled by fear, then money has control over your life. And I know that sounds a little bit harsh, but I'm saying you have to get free from that. He says, you know what? You can give everything you've got to the poor, and if you don't have a heart to do it, it's nothing. Here's the last thing. Without love, all that I accomplish is inadequate. I love the Living Bible in tra uh, translation here. It says, if I were to bur be burned alive for preaching the gospel but I didn't love others, it would also be of no value whatsoever. I've had to be confronted with that. Then go ahead and come to music. You know, the first, uh, second mission trip I went on, we were going into uh, India and Indonesia. And Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. And uh, as we were going there, I understood what it might cost me. Because, you know, Indonesia is an Islamic republic. It's illegal to convert a Muslim to Christ. It's punishable by death. So we go to, Indian, uh, to Indonesia. We do that part. We, go, we get ready to fly. We're in Singapore airport. And then you look up on these screens here, and they says, 76 Christians killed a Muslim-Christian conflict. You try to block it out. And then you look at your boarding pass, and you go... And so Rick says to me, he says, Donald, you know what? He said, if you want to stay here in Singapore, Jessica was four months old. He said, if you want to stay here in Singapore, and I go in and do the ordination service to the church planning that's there, I'll go and do it myself. You can stay here, and we won't tell anybody unless they just ask. He said, because I can't promise you that I know what's going to happen. Now, I say this in front of my mom and my sister, and, you know, you know what those that love you say you're gonna get killed over there you know not that Deb said that but you know and so Rick looks at me and says you want to go or not I said man I didn't come this far not to go I knew what I was getting into when I came and I would like to have said that my flight from India to Indonesia was uh, joyful but it wouldn't. The most, the most convicting moment of my life was when we got on that plane and we began to fight for Indonesia. I got on the plane and I said, man, am I even saved? I mean, I'm not joking. <laughs> That'll make you evaluate yourself. You know, Peter said, you know, uh, examine yourself and see if you're into faith. Well, I was examining because I know what was possible there. I said, well, does, do I believe Jesus is born of a virgin? I do. 
Do I believe you live a sinless life? I do. Do I believe you died on the cross for my sins? I do. Do I believe you was buried and raised on the third day? I do. So I put a check mark. Worst case scenario, if I get killed, I'm going to heaven. You can't threaten me with heaven, right? I'm not afraid of going to heaven. But the truth is, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die to get there. But I found out that 10 out of 10 people die. You ever thought about that? That the mortality rate is hovering right around 100%. Whether you're in Manchester, whether you're in London, whether you're in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Chicago, New York City, it doesn't matter. It's appointed once for a man to die. And then comes the judgment. I'm not living my life in fear of dying. I'm going to live my life in fear of not fulfilling my purpose. The worst death a Christian can die is having died and not finished God's purpose. The worst life a Christian can live is living without knowing what God's purpose is. The second question, we're getting ready to land. The second question I had, I was like, did God really even tell me to come over here? Did my full self just get on a plane and get myself killed? I'm not joking. You ever done some stupid stuff that you shouldn't have made it out of? And by the grace of God, you get, you know, he brings you out. But I'm, I'm 41. I'm still not uh, at the point where I don't do foolish stuff. But when I stepped off the plane and we hit the ground and, and, and me, Dan, Indonesia, it was like I was in this bubble. I can't even begin to explain the peace that was in my heart. You know, they drove us to the to, to the building, the hotel, and we were in a, a, a van that had two coats of maxi black tent, so you couldn't see in there. You know, a man my size and stature doesn't look necessarily like a, you know, a native Indonesian. And so they took us there. The van pulled up to the motel room. They brought mirrors out. They scanned underneath the bottom of the van, see if there were any bombs that were there. And they said, listen, we're getting ready to get out. You're not going to go to the desk. You're going to go upstairs. You're going to go into this room. You're going to stay there. Don't get up. Don't go downstairs. Don't go outside. Don't do anything until you hear this knock. And I was like, this is for real. So we went. They knocked on the door. We got into the vehicle. We left. We drove to the church. And there were 12 beautiful Indonesian church planters, and one being a woman. Every one of those 12 had been beaten for the gospel. Have you ever been in a room where you're the only one that has never been beaten? Man, I felt so unworthy. I said, gosh, these people are the real thing. You know, just for them to say yes to Jesus means that they have to disconnect for themselves from Islam. And you know what? It is immediately a death sentence. Again, it's illegal to convert a Muslim to Christ. You can see right now that the president of Indonesia became a Christian. Now they're trying to, to, to prosecute him on a blasphemy law. It's for real there. 
And man, I got to that service, man, they were praising God. Man, they were just, just excited to be together. It was amazing, but I was scared to death. I'm like, oh gosh, stop. Just hum, let's lower it down. I'll lead us. You're looking in the windows. People are spying him. They're saying, you know what? Is it, you know, they're ready to go tell you, you know, tell on you so they can come and, and get you and, and put you in jail and beat you. And I'm like, I love this. I'm forever changed by the privilege of looking at these beautiful people who are willing to give it all for Jesus. They have to say yes and sign their death certificate before they can get baptized. Because you know what? They're going to get killed. It's just a matter of time unless God sees them through. But there's a grace there. But those people really love Jesus. And it challenged me to want to love Jesus more. I said, God, I want to be like that. Paul says, you know what? Your accomplishments are nothing. If you die a martyr, it's irrelevant. You've suffered and died for no reason whatsoever. And so what God is saying, you can stand with me, what God is saying is this. That I can have the eloquence of an orator, the knowledge of a genius, the faith of a miracle worker, the generosity of a philanthropist, and the dedication of a martyr. But if you don't have love, you know what he says? Life minus love equals zero. If I come down here, will it squeak? Is it okay to come down here and won't squeak? I want you to listen to me. It's good. It's good for us to hear things like this. But when I was talking about people believing in themselves, many of you, you're here today, you want to love God more, but you feel like that you're just a throwaway, that you're just not worth anything, that you have no value. Don't you know that, listen, you're extremely valuable to God. So much so that he sent his son to die on the cross. But I remember hearing a story of, from Reinhard Bonnke. He's, he's, he's done crusades all over the world. They're huge, millions of people. Tens of millions of documented conversions. And he said, in Germany where I live, there was a term that we put on people that determined their value. He said, we called them zeros. He said, we looked at people that had no value, and they said, you know what, you're a zero. And all of a sudden, Reinhard Bonnke said, you know what, I I was one of those zeros. He said, but one day, one day I met Jesus, and I found out, you know what, that Jesus is number one. I know that I'm a zero and Jesus is a one. So I thought, if I took my zero 
and stood beside Jesus, together we make a perfect tent. Amen. So, And as long as I know that I'm a zero, but I know who's number one, it really doesn't matter what position I have in line. Because a matter of fact, the more people that are standing in the line, the more zeros there are that come out. And the truth is, the more that stands in line, the more valuable I become. So listen, as long as I stand by Jesus, he's more than enough. He makes us valuable. God didn't create junk. He didn't create anything that he didn't have purpose with. He has a design. He has a plan. He overflows with love for you and you feel like garbage. And today, he's saying, if you feel this way, come stand beside me. With all your weaknesses, all your inadequacies, all your character flaws, all the junk, all the baggage, just bring it. Just to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Thank you, guys. Let's pray. Father, I sense the Holy Spirit just moving today. You've been here from the beginning and you come for purpose. And I want to ask you if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you don't have full assurance, 100% confidence that things are right with you and God, then today is your day. And the Holy Spirit says to you, He says, when you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. There's going to be things pulling at you. There's going to be things that are prodding you. There's going to be thoughts coming to your mind that says, you know what? You're unworthy. You don't have, you're a failure. You can't live it. Let me tell you something. That is just the devil's reaction for the decision that you're about to make. So I want to ask you, if you're lost this morning or you don't have 100% confidence that things are right between you and God, on the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand up. It doesn't save you. It doesn't do anything. It just lets me know that the Lord is at work. So if I'm talking to you, if the Holy Spirit's talking to you on the count of three, just shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up. Amen? Others? Today's your day. How many would say, you know what? I don't believe in myself. I feel like that I'm just some worthless. I'm just going to say, if God's speaking to you right now, I want you just to come up here in this altar. Just stand with me. Stand with me. I'm coming up here before to listen. There's so many times that I, I've struggled with my value. The church would be empty. I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? We're wanting to move forward. There's things that want to do. It doesn't seem like people want to get on board, you know, and there's, we're, we're casting vision and, and people are real hesitant. I'm thinking, God, you've you got to show up. And, you know, so I, I'm dependent upon, you know, I, like I'm in need of somebody to just, you know, just help me feel like you believe with, with me and, and know that we're going to move forward together. But you know what? I done went off the deep end. I done told you what I'm believing God for in the next three years. And we've already accomplished number two. That <laughs> lets me know that in my pain, in my herniated disc, in whatever it is that's causing my pain, he's overcome it. 
Now, where are you? If you lifted your hand, God's speaking to you. Why don't you come? I don't want to waste any time because we're going to have baptism next. Anybody? Let's pray. Father, I believe you're speaking. Lord, I pray that you draw people to yourself. That they get a revelation of their value when they stand beside you. It doesn't matter if they're from Goose Rock, Burning Springs, whether they're from Oneida, from Town Branch, from Liberty Hill. It doesn't matter. It's not about what they have. It's about who they have. So, God, I pray that you minister to them today at this moment in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're going to play.